Hi friends, it is Derek, lead pastor of Christian Church Buckhead, and for the final time, I'm sitting here at my kitchen table, and I'm going to redo the content from this Sunday. Uh, as you know, if you've been listening to some of these that are software and in the main building that captures the messages live, that's been messed up. It has been fixed, and so this coming Sunday will be live uh, again, which is probably a lot better because uh, it does feel weird to sort of sit here and just redo the notes. But that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the content uh, that we had on Sunday, and I'm just going to move through what we talked through, uh, and hopefully and prayerfully, uh, this will be encouraging uh, to you. And this series of teachings is, uh, it's entitled Begin Again, Faith Under Repair. It, there's two things in play here. One is the reality that at some point, everybody's faith takes a hit. Everybody's faith has a crack in it. Everybody's faith breaks at some point. It's something is said or done or both that makes faith difficult. And so that's one component here. The second one is this question in light of the first the question is, is it possible to even rebuild a faith? How do you rebuild a faith once it's been broken? Maybe more importantly, uh, can faith ever be as strong as it once was? Can it be stronger even? How do you pick up the pieces and, and, and move forward uh, in faith? And is all that possible? And so that's that's what we have been exploring over the last several weeks. And again, it's, it, the premise is just the truth that at some point, everybody's faith takes a hit. And in the previous two talks... Uh, you know, I've listed some real specific things um, that that drop a fault line into our faith, but I'm not going to review those here. I think you probably have your own list as well, and um, and you could probably guess what that list included anyway. But again, just something is said or done or both that makes things like belief or hope or trust in God really, really difficult. And the question that we're exploring is, uh, how do you rebuild? How do you rebuild? faith once it breaks. And our backdrop, again, has been this incredible story from the history of Israel. You know, some 2,600 years ago, uh, the city is destroyed by a rising empire, the Babylonian Empire. Part of that, part of the city's destruction was the exportation of uh, thousands and thousands of people and families uh, to live and die in exile uh, in various Babylonian cities. Uh, some 10 years after the city of Jerusalem is destroyed. They destroyed the temple. And as we've said each week, the temple was everything for the Israelites. I mean, it was the, not just like a church building for them where they went to services and did religious things, but it was more importantly, the centerpiece symbol of God's presence uh, among them. And to make a long story short, eventually all those Israelites were allowed to come back to Jerusalem. There was a changing of the hands politically in the world. The Persians were sort of making their way through, not sort of, they were, they were definitely making their way through. But part of that, uh, part of that takeover, part of that exchange of, of power was that the Persians allowed all exiles, not just uh, is the Israelites, but any nation that had been taken away from their homeland, they just allowed them to go home if they chose. And so many, many people went back to Jerusalem, and the two things they noticed from the start was the city was in ruins, there was no wall around it anymore, which is a really big, uh, important piece of a city and its safety, but the, the temple was also gone. And so those two things topped the priority list from the very, very start. Like we rebuild the wall for safety and we rebuild the temple for worship. And so around 538 BC, they, they lay the foundation of the temple. They do it. I mean, they, they start the rebuilding of the temple, which was essentially 
the rebuilding of their faith, the rebuilding of their relationship with God, the rebuilding of, you know, that house of worship and sacrifice and service and charity and all those great things, right? Um, they do it. Uh, one of the Old Testament writings uh, named Ezra uh, uh, tells this story in chapter 3 of that writing, just the, the laying of the foundation, just an incredible story. And they do it. And then for some reason, that's all they do. For some reason, that's they just move on. And they leave an unfinished temple there for 20 years. For 20 years, it was just a foundation, some tools, some rocks, some caution tape, some do not cross tape. You know, I mean, just that's what it, that's, that's the condition it was in for 20 years. And then in the year 520, God moves in the heart of this man named Haggai. He becomes a prophet, and a prophet's main job is to speak into the modern day realities of Israel's faith and justice and social work and so on. So this man, Haggai, was called by God, and the role given to Haggai was really simple. It was just to get the people to build again, um, because again, the temple was the centerpiece symbol of God's presence among the Israelites, and its neglect was becoming another symbol of their collective neglect of their faith and relationship with God. Now, God doesn't need a building, but he knows that the people need the structure. They need the place. They need the space, the venue. And they need the symbol. And so Haggai's role is quite simple. Motivate the people to get started again on the building and to finish it. And the thing is, and this is what we've been saying each week, that faith, when it's broken, it doesn't heal itself. You know this. Something as big and as intimate as trust in God, that's not going to heal on its own. It takes all kinds of moving parts to fix a broken faith. One of the things we talked about uh, in week one was naming the ruins. We have to like look at the things that have caused our faith to break and name them. That puts power in the rebuilding process, to be able to point at it and say, that's the experience, or that's the person, or that's the situation that broke my faith. In the second week, we talked about how it's really, really important for us to listen to the voices uh, of the people God may be using to help us. So there's always prophets in our life, to use that term. There's always people that, are, that God is using to speak into our situation. So it's good and healthy for us to listen to those voices. And today, uh, I want to talk about the third step in rebuilding a faith, and that's simply checking the settings of our hearts. Checking the settings of our heart. I'll explain that in a few minutes. Our text is just one verse, and it reads, uh, these are the words. Uh, Haggai looks at the Israelites and he asks them this question. This comes from chapter 1, verse 4. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins. Let me read that again. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now this house, what he's referring to when he says this house, is the temple, but more importantly, faith, the relationship with God, the thing that matters most, right? So he's using this kind of play with the word houses, and he's saying, it sounds like an insult too, like you and your paneled houses, right? You with your walls and your roofs on your houses. I mean, it's just sort of strange to think about that's what's bugging him. But he's like, you're concerned about that, but you seem unconcerned about 
this. In fact, he uses the phrase, it lies in ruins. So like our faith, our relationship with God, our collective trust and hope in God is in ruins, but everything else in our life, we're like paneling up, we're making it look good, we're shining the outside, we're cleaning it, and so on. So is it a time, which simply means a season, is this a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? That is a provocative question. Now it's been phrased and rephrased in all sorts of ways, but essentially what Haggai is asking is this. He's simply asking, shouldn't we also be taking care of our relationship with God? Shouldn't faith also be a priority for us, is basically what he's saying. See, one of the reactions to a broken faith is simply neglect or a transfer of focus to something else. And that's usually something we can control. And things begin to drift in other directions. And for Israel, they had simply just moved on, right? So this question is really provocative. It provokes dialogue, or at very least, introspection over the settings and the priorities of the heart. And again, to rephrase this, I mean, Haggai is basically saying, is it ever appropriate to enter a season of life where God and the relationship with God is put on hold? I mean, that's essentially what he's saying. It's not that these other parts of life don't matter and aren't important and aren't allowed. I mean, of course we should take care of our homes. Of course we should maintain, you know, healthy jobs and families and so on. I mean, he's not saying that those things don't matter, but he's just raising the provocative question of, is is it ever right, is there ever a right time to push pause on faith? Is that ever appropriate, is what he's saying. And the question is really irritating. I mean, imagine in your small group, if, like that's what people said to you, you know, how was your, how was your week, right? And you talk about the vacation you had at, you know, you went skiing in Aspen or something like that. And everybody nods and smiles. But then the leader says, is, is it really appropriate for you to be spending time and money skiing when there's people who need X, Y, and Z, you know, like it's, it's so irritating. You would, you would hate that, right? But, and it's also necessary, not the skiing thing, so please make sure you separate that illustration from what I'm saying next, but even though a question like Haggai's is irritating, you know, like, is there ever an appropriate time to put your faith on hold? It is a necessary question if faith is to be rebuilt. Because all relationships live or die by the amount of attention each person gives to the other. Inattention and neglect in relationships leads to an extinction of the relationship. Whereas uh, behaviors like conversation, uh, focused time with each other, serving one another, encouraging one another, those things lead to health and fulfillment. And the same thing is true with God. All relationships live or die Um, by the amount of attention each person gives the other. As pastors, man, if people like email us or talk to us in the hall and say, you know, if it's a married couple and they say, hey, this is what we're going through. Do you have any any references or recommendations on some good counseling? Like we would never say, oh, you know what? Just, uh, Just ignore that. It'll go away. Just don't worry about it. Like we would never say that. 
because we understand and you understand that all relationships uh, live or die by the amount of genuine attention that each person gives the others, uh, the other. And again, it's the same with God. If we stop giving our faith attention simply because uh, our priorities have changed, then you know it becomes it becomes extinct. It starts to be extinguished over time. And Haggai was simply again starting a conversation about priorities. Like God had lost His place in the hearts of His people, and Haggai pointed that out, basically saying, "Isn't it also important that we build this?" piece of our life as well, because he noticed a shift in focus, a shift in attention, a shift in priorities. And worship, at its core, when we talk about worship, worship at its core is just really focused attention, you know? Worship is about extreme attention to to something, to the point where it overtakes us you know, we see priority in it. That's all worship is. It's just giving worth and the appropriate attention to something. And in this case, Haggai's saying, listen, we should be focused on that too. All of us worship something, um, but it must be God that we worship. Now, just as a, a slight diversion, we'll hit pause there and tell a couple stories, but uh, just a couple weeks ago, one of my favorite bands broke up. The Black Crows always been one of my favorite bands since they came out in the late uh, 80s and 1990, big, the big album there. But they broke up a couple weeks ago, and they've been on hiatuses before, but this was like an official, everybody signed papers, it's over, you know, that, that kind of thing. And it sort of bummed me out because this year, 2015, was at their 25th, they were going to do like a big tour you know, and I'd seen them six or seven times in the last couple of years anyway, but man, they just broke up and it was just a terrible thing. It's been kind of a rough six months. I mean, Joe Cocker died, the Black Crows broke up, and Atlanta is not on the tour docket uh, for the U2 uh, tour that's coming up. So I don't know what's wrong with the universe. I got to send some letters out to management for U2, but, uh, but the Crows thing was, you know, it was sort of weird. Like if you came to my house and you started digging through our record bins or uh, our iTunes library. I was looking at it the other day, and there's like 92 Black Crows songs in my my iTunes library. Like, that's a lot, by the way. And if you just dug around, like you you would deduct without any conversation that I'm a fan, uh, that my son's a fan, that my wife's a fan. Like you might even look at us and go, "So you guys, you guys, fans of Black Crows?" And then I pulled down this box with all my concert tickets in it. And through the years, and you could dig through that and find all these different Black Crow shows in there. And you, again, you could just deduct that we're fans. Like, we really, really like uh, the Crows, right? But that's true of all of us. Like, there's, there are always tracers to the things that we value. There are always tracers that people can see uh, that lead to the things that we really, really like, the things that hold a place in our hearts. They're, all those things are evidenced in our actions and behaviors and habits, um, more seriously, the pastor that I worked for um, prior to coming to Christian Church Buckhead was amazing at doing funerals. I don't mean that was like his gig. I just mean when he did them, they were so well done. They were so personal, so pastoral, 
Uh, everything I learned about doing funerals, I learned from him. And one of the things that he would do in preparing his thoughts for the service, you know, the following day after visitation, was that he would ask uh, the family of the deceased, he would ask for the deceased's Bible. He wanted the Bible. And what he would do if they gave him the Bible, and they pretty much always did, but he would pour over the deceased's Bible the night before uh, the service, simply looking um, for the pages that were most worn out or most highlighted, the ones that had the notes in the margins. I mean, basically, without speaking to the person or even the family, able to take the deceased's Bible and deduct from just spending time in it, where this person spent most of his or her time in God's Word, and maybe like what mattered most to this person, like a certain passage or a story or even a whole book of the Bible. And, you know, he would get up the next day and say, clearly, this person loved this text. And he would quote it and maybe read something from the margins of the Bible. It's really, really powerful. But really all it is, is it's, again, it's a tracer. It's a trail. And the trail leads to a truth about the person. And for all of us, I mean, follow the trail of my habits and behaviors, and eventually you will run into some kind of throne with some kind of king sitting on it. All of us worship something. And all our friends and close family, all they have to do is follow the trail of our habits and behaviors, whether that's money or things that we'd like to do, where we spend our time. Like, just follow the trail, and it'll lead to a place uh, where there'll be a throne. Jesus said the same thing this way. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, when the scriptures, and really the ancient world for that matter, talk about the heart, they're referring to what was called the place or the seat of one's passion. In other words, the thing or things that someone is really, really into. It doesn't really get into how passion is developed. It just acknowledges that all of us have things that we're super focused on. Things that, quote, have our heart, right? Whether it's a band or a song or an activity or a sporting event or this or that. And the other. I mean, these things have our heart. And what's interesting is that the scriptures and Jesus as well seem to believe that the heart, the passions of a person can change, that our passions can be altered, that the aim of our heart, so to speak, can turn towards something else, right? It's interesting that in the scriptures, passion is not uncontrollable, but controllable. Passion can be managed. Jesus has a phrase for this. It was, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth that one's passions can be controlled. And when Haggai spoke into the lives of his people, he was basically saying, listen, our hearts, they've been moved. Our priorities have shifted. And our passions are elsewhere, away from our relationship with God. Now, just a couple of things here in closing. One, as a pastor, I know that you might be listening and having this conversation in your head thinking that I assume, that you assume, that I assume, that you assume, that I do this well, 
like that I never have a priority shift, that my passions are always towards God and so on. And that as a family, like we're doing devotions every night and all the kids are around the table and we crack open the Bible and we have great like theological discussions and we pray together and do all those things that you may imagine that we do. But the truth is, even as a family, uh, we struggle to keep this at the center of our lives just like everybody else. I mean, uh, we were doing devotions the other night. Kids were on the bed. They were wrestling. I had the book open. I'm trying to read the thing. I get upset, and I'm just like, fine, everybody just go to bed. And then the kids are like, no, 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 we want to do the devotions, but which really just translates, we don't want to go to bed. Uh, but, you know, So we, I mean, and the, the list is really, really long of failures in this regard, like just trying to, you know, trying to keep things at the center, and it just doesn't always work that way. And we can go nights and even weeks um, where it's just we don't pay attention to it at all. And so even as a family, like, even and, and as individuals too, like we struggle to keep this at the center as well. But the one thing we know, and I think you know this too, is that a growing faith is not accidental, right? The depth of faith is not a surprising thing. It's an intentional thing. Because none of us is predisposed to like a mature and healthy faith. Like it takes work, it takes prioritization, it takes uh, a proper amount of triage uh, with the various components of our life. In the Black Crows song, just keeping with that theme, uh, they have a song called My Heart is Killing Me. And there's a line in there that says, you kept the ring but forgot the vow. You kept the ring and forgot the vow. In other words, the relationship is not the ring. Right? The relationship is not the church building. It's not, you know, this one tangible thing. The relationship is not the ring. Relationships are held together not by contracts, but they are held together in the continuous pursuit of the vow. Right? I say this in my weddings now that I do, actually. It's like, this is a wedding. This is not a marriage. This is an event, this is a party, this is a celebration, this is really expensive, uh, but it's not the marriage. Uh, it's an event. It celebrates the beginning of what will be hard work, what will be joyful, uh, stressful, it's, but this is just a thing that we're doing. What will keep this thing that we're doing together is the continuous pursuit of the vow. And I read this somewhere, it was in Daniel Taylor's book, uh, The Skeptical Believer, and I don't remember the name of the person that he quoted, but the phrase uh, was simply this, that faith is a renewable vow, right? We don't just receive faith and that's, you know, one and done, it's over. Faith is a continuously uh, evolving, growing part of our lives, and it is a renewable vow. We have to come back to it. If we've lost it, we've got to go and seek it. If it's broken, we have to engage with it and fix it. The 14th century theologian and mystic Meister Eckhart said it this way, man's best chance of finding God is to look in the place where he left him. And as it is with you, or as it was with you when you last had him, let it be now while you have lost him, then you shall find him. In other words, God isn't gone anywhere. He's right where we left him. And if we want to come back to that, we have to go back to doing the things and prioritizing the things that made it healthy when we were there. And then we'll find him. Jesus said the same thing, but this way. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Seek first, there's the prioritization part, the kingdom of God, you could say the ways of God, the reign of God, God's work in the world. Like Pursue that first and his righteousness and then all these things will be added to you. That phrase comes at the end of a long teaching about priorities, about money, about worry, about stress. And then it ends with this nice famous riff about, look, above all that, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's about priorities. It's about the settings of the heart. How do you do that? How do you seek first those things? Well, that's what we're going to talk about next week. And it's called structures. It's called, uh, it's, it's about the things that we can actually do because faith is, in fact, very tactile. And so we can grab it. We can work with it and watch it form. And so don't miss next week uh, as we talk about how in the world we even seek first uh, his kingdom. Grace and peace, and we will see you in the coming weeks.